This is episode 44 with Mike Crayuder. Welcome to the Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal trainer and coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I sit down with one of my former coaches, Mike, and discuss how he is teaching his swimmers to shift their focus to more process over outcome mindsets. We talk about the importance of breath and how you can use it to gain control in nearly any situation. Let's dive on in and welcome Mike. Hi, Corey. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Good. So first question I I really have for you is kind of how did you get into coaching and have now made that transition to instead of coaching – how do we put it? You know, not coaching for results, but now we're coaching the process and kind of appreciating every little thing along the way. How did you kind of come to that philosophy and develop? Well, the basically the the process, like I said, is everything kind of backwards. Mm-hmm. I uh, I started. Um, I, I swam my senior year in high school. That was that was like my competitive swimming career before everything else, and uh, I learned how to do butterfly to swim meet uh, in warm ups because <laughs> uh, our team needed somebody to swim the two hundred IM, and everybody else is already busy, and I wasn't legal in it, so I went to my coach and I was like, "Hey, uh, if somebody shows me how to do butterfly, I'll do the two hundred IM," and so somebody did, and I did it legally. Uh, completed the 200 AM, scored a point for our team. <laughs> um, but that kind of, uh, and then I didn't swim competitively for after senior in high school for a little while because I, I decided I wanted to do cross country. Um, and I w- walked onto cross country team at Hofstra and transferred to Rutgers, walk onto their cross country team. And uh, key point is I walked on mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, without much experience. And, uh, and then I, uh, got stress fractures from there, then, which kind of led me back to the pool. And then I was like, Oh, I want to swim. So I joined, uh, so I, so when I, during a, I took a year off from school basically. Mm-hmm. And during that time I joined master swimming. I taught myself how to swim competitively at learning all the strokes, I would ask people like, "Hey, can you watch me swim?" And then I'd learn from there, and uh, taught swim lessons, and and then I came up with this crazy idea: "Hey, I want to walk on to the Rutgers swim team, <laughs> varsity, you know, uh, varsity one swim program." So I was like, "All right, so what do I got to do in order to do that?" Well, um, learn how to swim competitively, train. So I was like, "All right, I'll go to uh, a swim camp." Because why not get a week-long introduction to competitive swimming? And it happened to be out at uh, Arizona with uh, Bob Gillette, who coached Missy Hyman. And I got to meet her and learn how to do some things there. And uh, it's the hardest week of my life. I the first time I ever did doubles. And then uh, – but I learned from it. And then I walked onto the swim team, had no idea what I was doing. Uh, just to let you know how much I knew about swimming, I, uh, I put down an odd number for my 
yeah odd number for my swimsuit size (laughs) (laughs) so yeah anyway so um i swam the entire year with Rutgers, and i ended up going to biggies championships and um and uh swam all the dual meets and and relay a couple relays not a lot because i wasn't i was definitely not the fastest i was the slowest uh but it was the greatest experience um learning how to do that and learning just the process. It was so interesting to see the awareness wake up. And, um, yeah, and then I joined, then I joined club and then it, basically from there I started to coach club cause Sue, Sue Anderson asked me, it's like, so, uh, are you interested in coaching? And I was like, uh, sure. So sorry, coaching club at that point. Um, and I ventured off into coaching college because uh, I also uh, managed the Rutgers swim team. So that was like I was on the deck for two years working mm-hmm. with them. And I was like, all right, I was going to be a college coach. So I applied to coach college. Uh, didn't like it as much as I thought. I enjoyed the age group coaching and then found a job down here coaching with the fish um, underneath Ray Benecki while Kate Ziegler was there. And, um, yeah, now kind of transitioned to coaching at blue wave uh, head coach been there for about 10 years mm-hmm. working. Yeah. So I was about to say, I think you were still with fish. Um, I guess when we first met, um, yep. cause it's been, mm-hmm. gosh, it's, it's been probably about 12, 13 years since I think I swam on a, a zone team while you were the, one of the coaches there. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. It's hard to believe looking back on it myself, it's been that long. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure like you've had a ton of experience, obviously in that time as have I, and it's like, how have, how has your tr- coaching philosophy kind of changed from then to now and kind of you've caught on to this whole mindfulness approach of coaching a physical sport. And I think a lot of people in the coaching space don't make that connection um, all yeah. the time. So how did you kind of come to that? Uh, that was actually because of my journey, really. I started, uh, I've always seen, I guess, for weird things, I, I've always been interested in looking and learning. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a trend, I always noticed trends. And one of the trends I started to notice was, because I also really loved sports psychology in college I went I did an exercise science and sports studies degree and I got a taste of sports psychology and I was like this is amazing stuff and but it didn't really apply it so much until I was like well I know this is important how do I how do we do it and so I explored different areas but it wasn't until I did it myself where I was able to really start to, I guess, translate it and actually use it. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that part where teaching, it was like embracing it myself. So I was like, well, I guess I got to learn how to meditate. And I had to get over the thing. I was like, well, why is sitting here for an extended period of time paying attention to my breath? What is that going to do? All right, I'm, I'm fine. And all of a sudden, you know, I started to do it and I fell asleep some of the times I did it. Which is probably, and I read, I was like, well, why isn't meditation working? And then I realized that it's not, it's not striving. Mm-hmm. You're not striving to meditate. You're just being. And it was the first time that I was like, what? 
I'm just, I don't need to, I just have to, I just do it. Okay. So it was learning that whole process and starting to understand that. And then it was, it was actually probably realigned. And I started to realize it was like, wait a minute, we're coaching to the, we want to coach the process, but half the stuff I'm doing is results-based. I got intervals. Well, those are results-based. I'm forcing the kids to do something. I'm like, er, this is my ego speaking. Uh, you know, they're not doing it. Er, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, and, and then of course, learning that it was my underlying self-talk where I was like, well, I guess I'm not a great coach because they're not doing it. And so I was relating my whole being to how I did as a coach. Mm-hmm. And instead of being, instead of a co- coaching is something I do, it was coaching is something who I am. And I had to, once I realized that distinction, I was able to let go and not put that pressure on me to start exploring uh, other avenues. And it's not about, you know, it wasn't about me being a great coach. In order to be a great, great coach, it was like, I need to guide them. And uh, yeah, some, somewhere around there, it's a very, it's very interesting to see it, but it was, it started with my own training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's huge. And I think you get a lot of just respect and a lot of validity in your style as a coach when you kind of have those experiences to back it up. Um, uh, we would always joke in, you know, I, I've joked with my club coach since having swam under him in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. yeah, man, like the amount of times where you gave me a really hard set and like me and the other guys in the group would just look at each other and be like, I'd love to see like Maneth do this one. Like there's no way. Um, uh-huh. But like he had, you know, he did that before and, you know, he kind of opened our eyes to, to doing some stuff. And I think when you have that experience to back it up and you can speak from that place of, Hey, this worked for me. Let me show you how it works for you. Um, it just becomes that much more powerful, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. And yeah, definitely. I think it's really interesting too. You were able to touch on just separating yourself from the actions of like what you're doing. And I think swimmers, or just athletes in general can really benefit from that of, okay, just because you swim doesn't mean that's your only identity. Like it's just a, it's a part of you, but it's not all of you. And your success isn't like make or break on your performance as a swimmer. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I consciously will uh, do. I don't call them swimmers. Mm-hmm. They, I call them people or kids or, you know, cause that's what they are. They're, they're not a swimmer. Swimming is something they do. And you're right. It's like the, um, teaching them that they're not their performance will also allow them to fail because that means they're not failures. Uh, it's just that what they did that day is a learning process. I, I'm not my swim. I'm just whoever Corey or Mike, you know, and, uh, and today that swim was best I could do. I think that's really well said. Um, it's, and sometimes it's a lot easier said than, you know, actually lived out and, and done. What kind of strategies have you developed that's kind of allowed your swimmers to make that, that lens shift, whether it's from the outcomes towards an appreciation to the process itself or 
kind of disassociating a bad swim from their identity? Um, good question. Uh, so the, I think it's, again, it's the work I did on myself, but it's like, it's, um, for them, kids are just naturally aware, naturally conscious. Uh, the younger they are, they don't have these, you know, the inner speak that a lot, you know, we develop and as we, as, as the, as the hemispheres of our brain come online, right, we have to learn to integrate them. The kids, they have a natural affinity to just do things. It's looking at it. It's how to keep that going. If you look at schools uh, and a lot of times even with parents, it's like the kids, you messed up and then a kid feels bad, you know, like, well, I, I was just trying something. And, it, and you take away that curiosity because they think it's bad. Mm-hmm. If you, it's finding a way to keep on, it's allowing them to do what they do naturally, which is their natural awareness for things. It's bringing it out of them and teaching them and just allowing their curiosity to, to flourish. Let them do it and let them, like, my favorite thing is when a kid tells me, I figured it out. And they come up to me after practice and they're like, yeah, I did, I did those things we practiced. And then all of a sudden, they're like, and I, I, I put it to work during the set. And I was like, great. <laughs> all of a sudden, they figured it out. It wasn't something I said, you know, and I didn't force them to do it. It's that natural curiosity to go ahead and take a thing, you know, take something and, and give it a shot, see if it works. And where does it go from there? And then they, they will develop their own process. Mm-hmm. And it's not my process. It's not the other coaches processes it's 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 encouraging them to come up with theirs which of course takes a little bit more time um yeah it's easier to yell at somebody and be like no you're not doing it but then they have no idea what they're doing it's like well it was an emotional response caused them to do this and they're like well i did it great so they're happy with you but i don't know how to do it again (laughs) (laughs) that's always the challenge and i think it's awesome when you're able to see those wheels turn and it clicks for your swimmers. Um, I was actually talking with one of mine um, earlier this week and we were talking about, you know, why we do relays at the end of practice. And she was like, well, it's just like a fun thing. Like it totally makes sense. We might as well end on a high note and like play some games. And I was like, well, let me ask you this. Would you rather do four relays or four twenty fives all out race? She's like, obviously four relays. I was like, see, I wanted you to get four all-out sprints, but I wanted to make it in a way that was like fun for you. So that was why I kind of masked them by putting them in a relay setting rather than head-to-head racing with, you know, other people that way. Does that make yeah, sense? Totally. And, uh, oh, it was, yeah. And it was cool to yeah. just see like it, it just clicked with her and was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I can't believe there's a reason we do relays. Um, and there's uh, like, a, I think that's the challenge as a coach is finding and sometimes justifying the reasoning behind everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't have to justify it to kids all the time, but, um, I think that helps, you know, from oh, time yeah. to time to really bring them yeah. in. Oh, and that's the thing the kids too, they're, they're, they're very smart. Uh, you know, like kids are just inherent cause they don't have a lot of preconceived notions Mm -hmm. they tell you how it is you know and it's like 
sometimes it, it's pulling that information out of them. It's, they'll say the most amazing things. You're just like, okay, cool. I never, you know, I was, didn't go, didn't think of that perspective, but I love that one. That's great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's like, and also the, you're stacking a habit too, where like with the relays at the end, they're leaving on a high note. Right. And so they look back when they look back at practice, they see the most recent emotion that comes up and it's that enjoyment of swimming fast and, and practice at, at the end. Right. It doesn't matter what they did before. It could have been like, Oh my God, I'm dead. Right. But then they stack that, but you put that, that relay at the end of it, all of a sudden it's like they see that most recent emotion, their body kind of picks up on it. And so now they associate that happiness with practice. Mm-hmm. And so they always want to go back to practice. They're like, well, we'll go back to practice, happy, we, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that perspective, but definitely I think that's a good one too. And it's almost you get them a way to learn how to get up and still race even when they're like dead tired at the end of mm-hmm. practice kind of deal. And they're way more willing to do that in a, in a team relay setting versus like, all right, we're just going to hop up and do a 50 free off the blocks as fast as you can. You know, some oh, kids yeah. are going to be 50, 50 on whether they're going to even give that effort all, all out effort, you know, during that one repeat or not kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you mentioned, no, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go, yeah. you, go ahead. No, I was saying you, you mentioned like the, the going up and like all out, right. You know, for a team versus an individual in effort. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you see, you, you always hear that. Like, why does that happen? Like, what's the reason there you, you, you know, on a relay all of a sudden you, you go all out, like you, you're swimming like the fastest that you've ever done. What's the reason for that? I think that's one of the complexities of, a sport like swimming um, because it is individual, but it's also team and it depends on so many other factors. But to those outsiders looking in, it's just you versus yourself. And ultimately it is you versus yourself. But when you do have that team environment, whether you're swimming for a high school team or a college team or a summer team, even like how so many of us get started in the sport there's reasons why those memories are some of our fondest memories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a unique, I guess, aspect of it. Um, you mentioned talking on self-awareness and that kids have, you know, such high levels of it. Uh, I think it's something that's often overlooked, but it's a huge aspect of our lives, not just in sport, but just everything we do. You want to be able to kind of develop that, to such a high level in your athletes that your role becomes more of instead of being a coach, you just, you mentioned it earlier, you're a guide and mm-hmm. rather than them having a deep dependency on you for their performance, they're able to be guided to that by themselves. What have you found that's kind of worked best for your athletes to develop that kind of level of self-awareness? Um, I mean, listening, learning to listen and, uh, having genuine conversations with them and, uh, knowing that I am, it's, there's no judgment going on. It's, I want them to be exploring. I want to be able to share thoughts. And so I asked them lots of questions. And one thing it, you know, as during a set, I'll ask them as well, how does that feel? Sometimes takes a little while um 
the ones that are new, when I ask them that, they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that they, I don't know. And they get that look. But, uh, and then I, I tell them, it's like, you're not allowed to tell me, I don't know. It's okay to tell me that you didn't think that, oh, that's interesting. I didn't, let me, let me, let me explore that or let me do that again. I didn't think about it. And that's an okay answer. There's awareness around that, but um, I don't know is an easy answer because uh, it's like, oh, I don't know, I don't even try for that. But it's when they start to be able to answer that question because now you're, you're facilitating that awareness. You're, you're, you're giving them a, a thought process like, oh, different. What's different? And, and most of the time I even ask them and I keep on exploring and I'm like, well, did, did something, did you do something different? And all of a sudden they're like, yeah. I, I breathed every three. And I was like, that's different. <laughs> they didn't realize that they knew the answer. But again, without having that conversation and having them understand that I'm what I'm looking for. And then all of a sudden they're able to go ahead and communicate that too. But it, it's sparking that interest, that curiosity. Right? It's not, I don't have all the answers. I don't want to give them the answers. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you're growing up and your parents are helping you your homework or something. And, you know, I remember my dad, he's like, I'm not giving the answer. You're going to figure it out. <laughs> and uh, he's like, okay, but you're just going to get the, the wrong answer. Well, what, but the thing is, oh, then I learned, but if you're not relying on somebody to give you an answer, you're, 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 it's all of a sudden your mind gets opened up to so many possibilities. And it, it's, it's funny because with the technology now, it's, uh, I remember sitting, being on a team trip and we told them, okay, we can't have the phones, put your phones away for, for dinner. And, uh, and then all of a sudden questions starts to answer and you can see them. It's like, oh, to look it up on the phone because they want to get the right answer. Mm-hmm. But there's, but that's the thing is just explore it, make it up and then see what happens. Right. And that's where the curiosity comes in. So there's no right or wrong answer. There's the judgment part, taking that out. And I don't care if you, you know, whatever you came up with. Sure. Great. And, uh, and at the end of practice, I always tell it's like, what's one thing you learned today? What's one thing you can do better tomorrow and the next time? And what's one thing that you you're grateful for that you did today? At the end of practice, I kind of repeat those questions. And so, and hopefully they maybe eventually, it'll start becoming a thought process in their brains. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thought behind all of it. It's just that, that constant repetition and giving them those environments where that is cultivated versus, you know, you're not forcing them to do it essentially, mm-hmm. but you're just yeah. kind of nudging them in the right direction over and over and over again. And I think eventually it clicks uh, but that's kind of the challenge of being a coach. It's like, how much do I nudge? You know, too much nudging is <laughs> turns people off in the sense of like, okay, now I don't like swimming. You know what yeah. I mean? How have you found that balance? Uh, or is it still sorry, a work in progress? Kids... Oh, what? Say it again, sorry. Is it still a work in progress? Yeah, it is. But uh, I found that it works... The younger, the young kids, like 12 and unders, uh, eight and unders, do, do the same thing. I've got eight and unders, I'll ask those questions too. Mm-hmm. And, and you can start to see them 
like they'll come in to the wall and they'll have and they'll already be thinking that way after a little while because all you go ahead and implant that they're naturally curious it's, it's a, they've been fed well this is how fast needs to be done sometimes it's just teaching them how to slow down is the hardest process and uh that's where drills come in but making um an aspect instead of being like well, you didn't do the drill right. It's like, okay, well, what did you feel? And then it's getting them to, to kind of bounce that way where it's, oh, wait, you know, I have my arm up. And then uh, when they do come across it, it's amazing. I've got some kids, it's taken a little while, but I let them fail at it. Like I'll do a little set with an eight, with eight and unders. Um, it's fifties uh, all out, right? where it's going from a block, it's on three minutes. It doesn't matter about the interval. The interval is there to just kind of keep us moving. But the idea is, is it gives us a chance to go ahead and do the 50 and be like, okay, what are you going to do a little different this time? And we go through a few of them, and some of them will we'll go ahead and spin their wheels, right? Some of them will breathe every stroke. Um, and then and I give, and then we go through it, and it's like, okay, well, what do you think about maybe giving this a shot? See what happens. And it's getting them to experiment and be like, hey, did it work? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that, that longer stroke that we worked on, that, that it's, it made me faster. All of a sudden, they're putting two and two together, not because, well, well you have to do it the way I told you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, that's the challenge, I think, in any sport is everyone's mechanics are different to get some of the same results. Like, there's no one way there's not only one way to swim freestyle you know like if you look across the board at you know the national team or you know your most recent olympians there's so many varying styles in the stroke there's some definitely underlying you know similarities between them but everyone kind of has found what has worked best for them and i'm sure they've had coaches along the way like yourself that have helped cultivate that environment to help find what really works best for them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And, yeah, it's kind of like viewing it as a – and that's the thing. Is usually we learn from the people that go really fast, mm-hmm. right? How did they do that? Well, it's because they're naturally curious. I love uh, something that kind of sparked my interest a while ago was uh, a, you know, reading an article about Caleb Dressel. Is from his age group coach's point of view, and it's like, well, how did how did he, you know, how, how did he do in his age group? He was so he wrote journals. He had journals that were so detailed about his his, his body. I think, if I remember correctly, um, Caleb would ask to get out of the pool to so write in his journal. It's like I want to write this down. So you could almost imagine that, like, that's the habit. Mm-hmm. He's extremely aware of what he was doing. And it wasn't something, not a set or something like that. Somehow he was instilled with that curiosity. And his coach was like, sure, get out of water. Write it down. Sure, why not? And, um, yeah. (laughs) I'm hoping that stories like that are going to be kind of what helps break that hippie counterculture stigma that has been associated with kind of mindfulness and meditation and all that. How have you found you've been able to get your programs to kind of just totally buy in on what it is you're trying to do because it's not always the standard approach. Like it's a little bit different. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, it goes back to, again, train, uh, doing it myself, I guess, living it, modeling it, and um, making it a culture where that's the, the process base. That's the culture. It's uh, where each day at practice, it's, you know, we're looking for ways to change. How do we get better? Becoming, uh, you know, becoming more aware. Doing, doing meditation at practice, and uh, kind of exploring those things. Where uh, instead of dry land, and this is funny. Uh, on Saturdays, I, I would do a um, uh, meditation. Or I'd have them go in, and we'd talk about it a little bit, and we actually like meditate for a little bit. We do it with the younger kids. We call it a mindful minute, mm-hmm. and. Um, and then we'd explore it. Like, what, what, what did you come up? And, and not everybody would be into it. Uh, and, I, and that's okay. I wouldn't force it. It was, again, them adopting it and just exploring it, making it okay not to do it. Um, but then you see the other kid, and all of a sudden they start to listen. And you're like, what? That's interesting. Because I, 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 me, I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. They come up with an answer, and they're like, oh. I, and we we practice doing different things, so very physical things where we'll do box breathing. Um, so we teach them that. And just what does it feel like to do that? And all of a sudden, they'll they'll tell me, "I feel calmer now." They're telling me. I'm not saying a word. They're noticing that that shift in what they're feeling, and they're like, "Oh!" And I, this is the best part when they're in practice and we're doing a, a set. Or something and all of a sudden it's like what did you do in order to get through that or do better or when when you started to feel like you were, your heart rate was going up it's like i did the box breathing and they'll tell you did it and it's like oh that makes me calm <laughs> so now they're becoming more aware and they're putting those tools into place mm-hmm. and then they're just taking it yeah it's it's funny Breathing is just, I feel like, is so often overlooked, but it's so important. And you learn, I feel like at some point along the way, you just lose that ability to focus in on the breath subconsciously. And you have to start making it a forced, almost a forced effort to focus in on it to still elicit the yeah. same benefits that you maybe once had when you were younger. Uh, oh, you, you, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the like being younger because if you watch a baby breathe, right? They're they're diaphrag they they are diaphragmatic breathing. Babies breathe automatically using their diaphragm. And this is the coolest part. I just actually like picked up on this a little not just like a week or two ago. It's that their exhales are longer than their inhales, naturally. Nobody's coaching them. It's just an inherent thing. It's because it calms the system down, puts you in a parasympathetic state. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a huge breakthrough, and hopefully, those listening in can can put two and two together and and realize like, hey, when things are going out of control, like if you're super nervous before a race or a game or something like that, try out some box breathing. Try out a a guided breathing exercise that kind of brings you back under control. I mean, there's the whole, I don't know if you're familiar with the inverted U theory of arousal, but like yeah. you want to 
you don't want to be overstimulated, but you don't want to be understimulated. And I think breathing is a huge way to make sure we, if we're overstimulated, to bring us back into that like ideal level for our peak performance. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and it's like just realizing that the cool thing about the breath is the breath also shows you what you're experiencing. Like how do you breathe when you're anxious? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you're doing short chest breaths. Oh, if you notice that, right, you can go ahead and go, oh, right, draw, draw it out in the belly. Yeah. Okay, there we go. I, now, I, you know, without even realizing that there's the conscious connection, but it just realize oh, the breath. Oh, okay, I'm a little anxious right now. Okay, let's bring it back. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I found that was kind of how I was able to swim my best distance races in particular was focusing on that breath the first part of the race and then whenever I needed to throughout the race, but I kind of just chose to get lost in it, especially for the start, because I think it's so easy to get lost in other things of what's going on around me. Okay. I have the guy next to me is taking it out way faster than I expected. Whereas the guy on the other side of me is I'm, I'm crushing him right now. Okay. Like how do I, at, you know, keep those thoughts at bay of like, am I going too fast now? Like, yeah. are they going to catch me on the backside? I don't know. And I think just focusing on that breath really helped me learn to focus on my own race. And that was one of the things that my dad, who's coached now for 40 plus years, had taught me at an early age was just control your race, swim your race, and try not to worry about the other people in the pool as much as you can. Yeah. Well, it's also the point where you're noticing that your thoughts are going to that other person, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's the awareness. It's like, wait a minute, bring it back, and you have your anchor, which is maybe your breath, and that's where, like, with us, uh, tell the kid or we ask the kids, "What's your plan for a race?" And that way, it's individual for them, and it could be really something simple, but it gives them an anchor, so they notice, oh, my mind is going over to. Uh, I don't think I'll go fast enough or blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, wait, right, my breathing. Or I want to I want to get my elbow up, whatever the anchor is. Um, yeah, it's, it's totally amazing when that happens. And one thing I noticed and I asked and I kind of discovered this is the kids when we were training it, so you look at races, it's like, wow, the 200 freestyle or that whatever, that third 50, you're like, what's going on? And it's like, well, the first hundred, you know, you don't need to have as much air. That that third 50, all of a sudden, you're really feeling it. Because mm-hmm. if you're not breathing, you're not getting air in, now you're hyperventilating. <laughs> so you don't have any oxygen. Um, and it's it's like, oh, right, breathe out. I need to do that before I even start, when my, before my body wants to do it. Because I'm prepping myself to be ready uh, for whatever race. So yeah, focusing on your breath right there in the beginning, setting you up for su- success in your race. Mm-hmm. I think it's prolonging that kind of conscious awareness of I'm shifting from that anaerobic all out, you know, effort to maybe now it's a little bit of an aerobic thing. If you can, I think I had, I had coaches always tell me it's about easy speed at the beginning yeah. of your races 
And I remember being a kid and being like, what the heck do you mean easy speed? Like speed is effort and effort means hard. And like, but it's like, no, you gotta, you learn to move just more efficiently at like a more comfortable speed in some ways. But I don't even know if that's how you would describe it, if that makes sense. Oh, no. Yeah. You, you've hit on from what I heard is, you know, we've been told efforts hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that society kind of throws at us. It's, you know, you I, I ask kids and it's like, OK, well, what are you going to do to get to improve on this? It's like, well, work harder. I'm like, what's harder? I, I mean, a rock's hard. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's like it, it's learning to bump up against that that um that comfort zone and knock on the door and push it and just go ahead and keep pushing it pushing it and to do that little by little over time yes you are applying great effort but at the same point it's all of a sudden i, I experienced this uh, yoga has been a great teacher and i want to do a headstand right a head you know it's a headstand so and so uh I worked at it and I would continue, I would just practice and do the things to the best of my ability. Every, every day I had an opportunity to practice. I would challenge myself, always bump up against that little, uh, that, that comfort zone, always just bump up against it. And then one day I was like, well, the, the, the teacher led a headstanding class and all, and was like, okay, you know, you go up into it. And all of a sudden I kicked up into a headstand and I was like, oh, Holy snaky, what the world just happened? And, and I fell, fell over because I surprised myself. All uh-huh. of a sudden, I was holding a headstand without trying, without without much effort. It surprised me. Uh, and, and now it's like I go up into a headstand and it's, it's very easy. When I start to overthink and I start to try too hard is when the headstand becomes difficult. And there's the, the mindset where it's, we teach the, it's got to be forced got to work really hard and then you end up hitting that uh, you start to have a habit formed of activating your sympathetic nervous system you start to get stressed out your heart rate goes up your blood pressure goes up your start to chest breathe so now you're not breathing getting the oxygen in if we and there's the there's the overside of that that you know um that bell curve you were talking about mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's regulating it bringing it back just kind of right there and you're more aware and when you're always just bumping against that uh, that comfort zone. Now you're kind of like sitting right at the top of that, that bell curve. Uh, and you're breathing better. Now you're getting more oxygen. Your heart rate's lower. Your stress level's down. Your blood pressure's down. <laughs> and you're putting all your energy into swimming efficiently. There's the easy speed. But we think that we have to force it. We need to work at it really hard. <laughs> yeah, and I think it all ties back to what you said towards the very beginning was it's all about the words you choose and how you like refer to your kids, your athletes, your swimmers, you know, it's, I think a lot of time what's been glorified lately is grind and like all those words. And it's like, is it grinding? Like it shouldn't be in the sense of like, if you really are trying to take whatever you're doing, it could be swimming. It could be, coaching it could be you know a regular job if it's grinding it's probably not going to last you're not going to last very long because that overexertion and that 
that glorified over effort is going to take a toll on you physically, mentally in the long run, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, I just, when you mentioned grinding, I thought about grinding a rock. What happens when you grind a rock, rock right? Yeah. It wears away. And, it, you know, like water is great at that. Water grinds rocks away over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, totally. And it, it's, it, and it, that's the reason it's almost looking at, well, that's, I don't like to use the word burnout. Um, cause I, I don't like that. It, it's, you're just tired of using so much energy to force yourself to do something. Mm-hmm. And there's the tiredness, right? Cause you constantly are forcing yourself. Well, I need, I should be somewhere and we shouldn't all over things. I should be somewhere else than where I'm at. And we get fed that where I, um, you know, it's always looking and something I remember, I read it, I think in changing a game project where it's like, when is a flower perfect? And it's perfect in every stage of its development. There's no one part that, it's better than it was and it's better. It's just that it's now here and it doesn't look at the other flower and be like, Hey, Oh man, it's already bloom, man. I should be blooming right now. It's just, and that's how in general, we, if you look at the way we develop, we develop exactly the same way. It's, we are exactly where we should be in every stage of our development. And it's not saying we need to be happy with it. That's what we set up goals for. Mm-hmm. But it's always we bump up against that discomfort zone little by little. All of a sudden, we start without much effort making great strides. And all of a sudden, you go swim your race and or whatever you're doing. And you're like, wow, I just I just did that. And, it, and, and it's not because you haven't been working hard. It's just because you have been more conscious about the things you're doing. All of a sudden, you just let it go. And everything fell into place. Yeah, uh, there's something just so peaceful about those instances when that that happens. And I think a lot of people describe it as the zone or being in flow or whatever you want to call it. But that's Uh truly where it comes from. And it's not a forced way to get in there. It just kind of, like you said, it just happens kind of deal. And I think... I think that's what we all chase and that's what yeah we want flow and the thing is though flow happens when you're when you're not trying Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the thing is when we try I'm going to go out and I'm going to try I hate the word try but um, you know Yoda used to say like do it or not there is no try right Um, and you know I always had kids look at me and be like well what do you mean I have to try it it's like well try to Try to put your, you know, raise your arms up, right? And then go ahead and try to raise your arms up. Go ahead and do that. And and they're like, well, what? That does exactly. Try doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, you can. Tr- you're a try hard. You go ahead and, I'm going to try really hard. No, go do it. If you're trying. You're thinking about the future. And keeping in the present. And that's where the the flow comes in. Where you're super present. You're focused. You're so focused on one thing. Your brain literally has to redistribute energy. So it shuts part of your brain off where mm-hmm. the thinking part of your brain, the brain that it's like, it's like, well, I have to take some power somewhere because I'm focusing so hard on doing this one thing 
And all of a sudden, your brain's like, well, I have to, so then it shuts those parts off. And there's your flow state. But if you try too hard, now you're overthinking, right? And you're wasting too much energy. Your body knows how to do things. <laughs> yeah, I think the most interesting thing I've learned post-swimming career, but looking back, it totally makes sense, is that one of the stages of flow is a release or like a, a little bit of a break before getting back into um, – before actually getting into flow. So you have that whole kind of first phase where you're, you're over, not overworking, but you're, you're working, you're struggling and you're, you're learning in the process. And then you have to have almost like a time away from whatever it is you're about to do. You disassociate itself. And then like flow happens kind of like that when you, in some ways people describe it as you flip a switch. However you look at it, it's like, you almost have to take, you take your mind away from it. You, you don't overthink it. It just happens. Yeah. But I think as coaches, we need to help people take their minds off of stuff. One thing I like to do a lot with my kids is my best advice to them when it comes time to big swims is just to go have fun with it. And they look at you like, what? What do you mean, Coach Corey? Like, go have fun with it. And it's like, yeah, just go have fun with it. Yeah. And I think that, and that's my kind of attempt at having them have that pre-release and then to kind of dive in and with the right frame of mind to really experience hopefully a race of the lifetime at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. I like your, your slogan here uh, or your catchphrase, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, the, to be like water. What does that kind of mean to you and how do you impart that wisdom to those that you're working with? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, it's, a, it's a quote from Bruce Lee. And uh, my whole life, uh, it's actually interesting, my, my license plate reads H2O Life. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's something that, I don't know why, I've been uh, water. It's water, it's duality. Lots of dualities with it, but water gives life. Water is life. And, um, but it resonates with me because what, um, it's, it shows the gray areas where it's, there's no one, it's no black and white. It's always gray. And you, you have water's bolts soft and hard. And it finds its way through or around things, right? And it's strong but supple. And water teaches us patience. Uh, something society teaches us. It's like we talked about that things have to be hard. We just, you know, kind of touched upon that. Look at a rock. Like we, it's hard. But over time, with patience, water wears away at it. Um, and there lies its strength and its persistence. It also takes the shape of whatever you put in it. As Bruce Lee always says, you know, you put it in a cup, it takes the shape of a cup. Uh, too many times we fight something because it isn't the way we want it to be at that moment. It's like, ah, it's not the way I want it to be. So you fight it and you you go ahead and instead water goes ahead and adapts to, um, adapts to that container. doesn't mean it gives in, Mm -hmm. just means it learns to adapt and adapt to the situation. It teaches us the flow and doesn't, and it allows us to understand what is the 
reason for this container that it's whatever it is or the reason why somebody it's this way water allows us to understand that because it takes the shape and um, so water is a great teacher i believe and you look at it and i always tell the kids it's like listen to the water when you're swimming it's going to tell you how to be faster uh, it's a, and again there's the awareness part but if you fight the water, the water will always win. I was about the to water say, was much more powerful than you. <laughs> Surfers know that for sure. <laughs> I feel like that's, I mean, when looking back on my swimming career, my worst swims, I would definitely come down to describing them as I was fighting the water. Like you yeah. finish a race and, I mean, if you've swam in your life, you know, like, fight you know you don't want to be fighting the water that last 10 yards or whatever like it shouldn't be i mean it should be challenging but it shouldn't be like you're losing a battle against the water if that makes sense yeah yeah let the water help you yeah all right the water the water will allow you to move through it um and the water it yeah it's like learning to work with it it's it's a funny picture comes in the head of course you know the the butterfly Mm-hmm. Right, you know the two. I found the two hundred butterfly. That was actually like my. That's that's the irony of my um, of my swimming career, kind of, where I learned how to do butterfly at a swim meet, and then I uh, went to Sam at Rutgers, and uh, my teammate during our inner squad meet put me in the two hundred butterfly, and I looked at him. I was like, huh. And they're done really more than a 50. And he's like, don't worry, just do it, just do it legally. I was like, okay. And I did it legally. And then my coach is like, that, we could work on that. So swam it like every meet. <laughs> and, um, but the cool part was, it, again, it's learning to work with the water. It, I, it was learning to make it easier. The last time I swam it, um, which is another story in itself, but the last time I got an opportunity to swim it, I was like, this is easy. I was allowing myself to, to work with the water. I was learning from my previous experiences of fighting it, which is generally like, you know, you pull harder, right? You pull mm-hmm. harder, so you pull, 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 instead of getting your hips up and letting yourself ride over the water. Um, and once I learned how to do that, and, and it was like amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, you're definitely describing just having a good feel for the water and being a coach for as long as you've had them, you know people have natural feels for water over others, but I think everyone can learn if they're patient enough and kind of can take the time to develop that self-awareness and take the time to really feel it out is where that kind of success lies in. Oh, yeah. Um, If you could sum up in just a sentence or two, what would the athletic mindset kind of mean to you? Or how do you view that? The willingness. Good one. Uh, It's the willingness to practice everything. Uh, Training, training is a view as a mirror that reflects both your weaknesses and your strengths. Um, one thing that I teach the kids, uh, I know it's a few more sentences, yeah. but uh, we use the term Kaizen, which is continual improvement. It's being better than you were yesterday. I like that. 
I think that's what it's really all about is, and it's not just how athletes should approach their sport. I think that's how everyone should approach their life is you should never be content with where you are yesterday. And you should always be willing to learn something more because the moment that I think you kind of rest on your laurels and you're like, Oh, I'm an expert. Like I can't learn anything else here is the moment that you really fail. Yeah. And it's using that race that a lot of people are so afraid. It's like, well, I won't get the time. Yeah. Cause you're afraid. There's the fear. If you realize that you have fear for not getting the time, which you have no control over anyway, Mm-hmm. If you realize and you're just, I'm here to practice. I'm, a, I'm practicing racing. I'm practicing those things in this situation where my emotions are now heightened. So that way I can learn how to do it better next time. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Uh, yeah. What's next for you, Mike? And where can kind of those people listening in here kind of keep up with your coaching? And just as you're taking these kids through, I wouldn't say a, I mean, it's a different approach. It's a unique approach. But where can these people keep up with you? Uh, my Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have a website yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Facebook and Instagram and the Blue Wave Swim Team website. Uh, yeah, and it's what's next for me. Um, keep doing what I'm doing a little bit better every day. And I do have some uh, big goals I'd like to write, or I'm working on, actually, at the moment. So I'm going to put it out there, writing a book. So (laughs) we'll see how that goes, but I'm practicing. So there we go. I was about to say, it's a long process. um, As as I'm sure you're probably learning, it's longer than maybe you even originally thought. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no expectations, though. No expectations. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what it's all about. I just want to appreciate you, Mike. I mean, obviously, I've known you now for, for quite some time. Um, and I, I really appreciate kind of the approach that you're taking to improving people's lives beyond just swimming itself. Um, because I think the approach you're taking with your team in particular is going to develop them into just better people overall. Whether Whatever happens with their swimming career happens but I think they're going to come out just better people uh, because of what you're doing. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you, Corey. I mean, I see what you're doing and it's, it's super great to see you at a young age too, like uh, teaching this to you to, you know, so the more we do this, the more awareness gets spread and the better world we're, we will have. That's what it's all about. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Mike. He gave a lot of insight on the power of box breathing, which is something I found myself implementing more and more of in my life since recording this episode with him. What's a situation where you could benefit from taking a minute to focus in on your breath? I found it the most helpful in times of stress and uncertainty, which seems to be all the time lately. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate who could use a boost. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Athletic Mindset Podcast. Remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.